Hello, my name is Jerry Durham, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, What's Best for the Patient is Best for the Business. This podcast was put together for you, the healthcare practice owner wants to achieve success in your healthcare practice and turn this practice, this clinic into a business. So if you want growth and scalability that drives financial performance, all three of those don't always come together. But if you want that, then you've come to the right place. I'm here to help you be most successful in your healthcare practice and turn it into a business. Cheers. Thanks for coming. All right. Welcome back to everybody. Today, I'm excited to have Katie O'Bright, physical therapist on the show. Um, as you all know, it's about, you know, it's about talking outside the typical box. It's thinking about bigger impact, greater potential, and how we can serve the people we serve. So Katie, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I'm not going to for having me. Sure. I'm not going to share too much. Um, Honestly, Katie and I communicate via social media a lot, and I read through her website. So um, I think it's going to be best if Katie gives you an update on where, where, she, where you've been. So I, I think it's important to share how you got here mm -hmm. and then really build on what you're doing today, because that's where the conversation is really going to start. So why don't you just take it from here, Katie? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on. Um, I am excited to just have a quick conversation with you about primary care, but also um, I, I should mention that I'm really excited to, to talk to you because just based on the background of, uh, for those of you that are listening without visually looking, um, your your background, Jerry, is killer and it really matches up with like your Twitter personality that I know of, which is perfect. Um, you you just seem like the, the kind of guy who's kind of always, you know, ready to get down and be professional, but also like ready to rage. So that I can really appreciate that. Um, so yeah, my name is Katie Obright. I'm the owner of Redefine Health Education. I am a physical therapist and I started my career in 2014. Um, I started my career as an active duty army physical therapist, um, but I was not one of, I was one of the weird ones that didn't go through army Baylor. So I have the unique sort of experience of being civilian trained, but starting my first job um, as an active duty army PT. And I was assigned to uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma for my first duty assignment. And right there, my boss at the time, for whatever reason, um, thought that I would be well suited to just jump right into um, a team-based primary care clinic. So I was assigned to a soldier-centered medical home, which is um, basically where soldiers and uh, or where patients go for primary care, um, but they have access to a team of healthcare providers, um, not just one primary care uh, provider or medical provider. So I was one. Um, I was the physical therapist in a setting where we also had. Um, primary care physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, nurses, medics, um, but we also had, you know, myself and a, um, a behavioral health specialist. We also had across the hallway access to um, clinical pharmacy, radiology, pathology, um, and also a dietitian. So it truly was this really wonderful team-based model. And to be honest, I, I feel like I was given the most appropriate opportunity to flex my skill set that I learned when, as a DPT student. Um, in school um, at Temple University, I really feel like I learned, I learned how to do things correctly. And I learned how to, what right looks like as far as appropriate 
patient evaluation, differential diagnosis, but also patient management. And I was afforded that opportunity to flex all of those muscles in the, the way that I was taught how to do it without any constraints as far as, you know, oh, this is our employer model of care and this is how we do things and you can't do this and you can't do that. And I, I really was just given the, the independence to, to do what I was trained to do best. Um, and from there, so I did a number of different programs and things when I was in the military. Um, most of my time in the military was in, um, was in primary care, but I also did um, some other collaborative efforts in um, pregnancy and postpartum care for soldiers. Um, and then when I got out, I moved into, I went the total opposite direction of uh, mostly young, healthy, musculoskeletal um, cases to working in an outpatient cancer center and in a large academic institution. Um, and it was awesome because I kind of got to see this team-based model from more of a specialty care standpoint. And the one thing that I will say is over the the time that I, from, from the time that I started to now, everybody is better together. We are always better together when we work as a team, when we function as a team, and the patient on the flip side is, is receiving care where everybody's kind of on the same page about what's happening. And that leads to the patient having a much better experience, um, the patient often doing much better with the care and the treatment that is provided, um, and so on and so forth. So I did work in a uh, I moved, our family moved from Oklahoma to Pittsburgh, and I worked in a, um, a sports medicine clinic there where I had a sports medicine physician, a family medicine nurse practitioner, and I was the PT. So it was a really small operation, pretty great. And then I did my own cash-based practice while we were in Pittsburgh, and then the world blew up with COVID, and that led me to jumpstarting Redefine Health Education. And at this point now, I am trying to do my best. And it's really like the mission of my, my company and the mission of my professional career to get more PTs integrated into primary care practice, whether that means you're co-located in a primary care clinic, or you're a standalone sort of independent physical therapist or PT clinic, and you're trying to develop models to, um, to enhance primary care access to what we can, can do from a functional and, um, musculoskeletal standpoint. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell. And I think there's a world of opportunity here, especially for private practice owners. And I'm making it my, my job and my uh, career goal to see that come to fruition and to help people uh, build that into their practice. Wow. All right. I think we're done. Just kidding. That was a lot, <laughs> a lot of good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's so many um, directions. I don't want to, um, I, I'm going to assume there's a lot that people heard that they're probably not familiar with. So let's just recap, if you don't mind, you know, so from the army setting, which is just like straight up primary care, right? You, you saw it. I assume you were the entry point. I mean, I know you're the entry point for musculoskeletal, but you're seeing every, you're seeing other things in the clinic also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So believe it or not, um, when I was active duty, they've since changed this, but when I was active duty, they had one physical therapist for every battalion okay. now, um, or I'm sorry, every brigade, okay. <laughs> um, a brigade size element is you're talking, depending on the type of element, it's, you know, 4,000 soldiers. Oh, wow. 
So, right. So that's one per brigade. And then there's these extras that mm -hmm. live in hospital systems and things like that. Um, at this point now they have one per battalion, which is one PT for every, let's say 400 to 800. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, and we have a very high, as you can imagine, we have a very high rate of musculoskeletal. Yeah, musculoskeletal, I would assume so, right? Yeah. Yeah. So while the PT is the preferred entry point into the system for musculoskeletal cases, because of the sheer volume of what we see, we see them sometimes directly. Um, well, in the primary care clinic that it was set up like that, I would see the sick call clinic sort of early in the morning. Um, and the musculoskeletal cases would get routed to me, but if I couldn't handle the volume that came in, they see the, the PA or the, the physician okay. first, and then they sort of get to us when they can. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And how many years did you do that? Um, just a little, a little over four active four. duty. Okay. Mm -hmm. Four. And then you went into the, um, so lots of stuff. Wow. Did you, so real quick, all musculoskeletal or did you get did you get carried? Were you like entry point if there was overflow from other places? I'm just okay, curious. So, mm -hmm, no, pretty much no, because it, it kind of depends. So I will say that we were, we were definitely uh, the preferred provider for anything musculoskeletal. Now, considering the volume of any active duty military clinic, at least 50%, at least 50% of what's coming in the door is going to be musculoskeletal. Wow. In fact, so there's enough to keep you busy. Um, oh my goodness. There's, there's, there's way more to keep yeah, us busy, wow. but the case, some of the cases that I would see, which is why this is important across the board to be trained in multi-systems um, and to, to be, to be skilled and be proficient in multi-systems understanding and also referral decision-making is because, I mean, I, I saw a number of cases that were cancer, that yeah. were heart palpitations, that yeah. were, um, you know, all of these other uh -huh. things that, that come in through the door that sort of act like MSK problems, um, but are not and need, don't need me. They need the expertise of someone else. And then it was my decision to facilitate those referrals and make sure and at what urgency. So um, you really kind of have to be practicing at the top of your game. And I will say that a lot of people think that when you go into the military, you have to have, and you're not trained at Army Baylor, that you have to have all this additional training. It's not true. I, I did not have any additional training to, to do what I do or do what I did. I just was able to take all of the knowledge that I gained in PT school and be, be able to readily immediately apply it. Whereas in some other practices or some other models of care, you come out of PT school and there's like so many restrictions placed on you immediately. Yeah, that, that's it's interesting. Kind of it's the restrictions. It's not the openness of it. That's the problem, right? And all of right. a sudden you're not, you're not practicing at the top of your license. Right. And it's a lot of times, in my opinion, from what I've learned now coming into the civilian world, I guess, if you will, the real world, um, is a lot of these restrictions are, are perceived. Um, they're, they're not actual. So I encourage everybody to practice at the top of your scope um, and, and don't listen to just because you, you think that it might be a perceived barrier, like who, who and where and why is it a barrier and what, where's your evidence for that? Because if you're just listening to like generations past, yeah. oftentimes it is more perceived than actual. Yeah, it's, yeah, we, we, I don't think we'll go down that rabbit hole right now, but right, what, 
our ability, like you're sharing, it's funny where you're talking about, you just made me think that people get put on restrictions or put themselves on restrictions and then limit themselves and then quickly lose sight of the, of the, of actually top uh, practicing at the top of the license. So then you go to a cancer mm -hmm. center, working closely with MDs and social workers and everything that entails in a hospital setting, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, I, so all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was really cool because, you know, we had our own physical therapy clinic um, as a part of the larger Stevenson Cancer Center. It was a large outpatient um, cancer center. But um, weekly there, every cancer specialty team has like a weekly, they call them tumor boards. And yeah, I remember um, those. yeah. So in the tumor board, it's basically like a review of all the new cases that came in that week and everybody on the medical team, um, including support staff and, um, you know, the physical therapy team, et cetera, had the opportunity to weigh in on specific cases on what those patients need best. It was really like the most optimal way that I could cool. see um, team collaboration make the most sense. Cool. So now let's go high level from this as we transition into this next part, because I, I want you to share more about what you're doing. And like you said, the community clinics or someone wanting to do it individually. So, I mean, we all know the documentation. So, so if we're going to make an impact and so my favorite words right now are impact and potential. So the biggest potential where we have the biggest impact is to go, what I say further upstream and right, just getting to people sooner, like they walk in the door, they don't go right when you were in the army, they don't go to the GP who then sends them somewhere who then they wait three weeks and then they get an imaging or something, right? Because we know that costs more. I mean, all the research is out there. We don't need to beat the dead horse to make the point that the impact both financially and health-wise is further upstream. And this is really the world that you come from and you were living in and you got to practice in at like an insane level, like redlined every day, I assume, with the numbers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it fits the theme of what I've been talking to a lot of people about is, look, sitting around and waiting in this model of everything we do, so much of what we do, not all of it, but so much of what we do is sitting around waiting for that person to arrive in, into our office, not even into the system, because Lord knows how long they've been into the system by the time they find us, as opposed to the world you've come from. And that if we're going to continue to do what's right for the world and what's best for the world and what's best for the profession, then we got to go further upstream. And that's where you are. And that's what you're helping people to do. So why don't, um, why don't you first talk about maybe the individual a little bit and how, how you're helping individuals to do that work? Okay, so I'll, I'll start with our, our education programs. So Redefine Health Education is an education and consulting company. And um, what we're what I'm starting with, and because what I've noticed is that when individuals, when physical therapists don't have the opportunity to come straight out of school and do what I did and really flex their muscles with neuromusculoskeletal care and differential diagnosis in the way that is the most appropriate at the top of our scope, when people don't have the opportunity to do that in their clinical rotations or in their first couple of jobs, they sort of lose their skills. And they get really pigeonholed into one area of practice 
let's just take outpatient ortho, for example. So in an outpatient- That would be a good example. That should be a good example because that's the vast majority of like who we're talking to. So in typical outpatient ortho clinics, if we're talking about your average corporate, you know, maybe starts with the letter A organization, um, you're going to see similar types of patients. You're going to see your back pain. You're going to see your shoulder pain. You're going to see your post-op, yada, yada, yada. It's all kind of, um, you know, different in that every patient is different, but it's all going to be pretty similar. And most of it is going to be on a referral basis because that's what the institution wants you to have, um, or because that's what's allowed or, you know, whatever, whatever the case is. But if you think about it, those patients that are coming in to see you have much more, com at least 50%, and that is a very conservative number, at least 50% of every patient that is that you are going to see is going to have some other comorbidity. And more than likely, it's going to be something that is cardiovascular, pulmonary, autoimmune, or rheumatologic, because that is what our population is dealing with right now. Yeah, I was going to say, because it's America, and that's what we see, right? Yeah. Exactly. And if our patients are living these lives and having all of these comorbid conditions, there are so there's some, there's such an incredible impact and influence of the way that your nervous system functions based on what your blood is doing, based on if oxygen can get to different areas of your body, based on the health of your blood, the health of your gut. There, there are lots of other multi-system interactions that are going to influence a patient's pain and a patient's physical disability or their perceived physical disability based on what else is going on. So to say that you're going to evaluate a shoulder patient, you're, you're not evaluating just a shoulder patient because we don't treat body parts, we treat human beings. And we need to have comprehensive understanding of what's going on in that person head to toe bones to skin in order to really adequately give them what they need. And if we're not doing that, and if we're not addressing these really important other lifestyle factors, social factors, um, access and resource factors, if we're not addressing all of those things, we're, we're going to end up doing ourselves a disservice because the patient is not going to do very well. And we're probably going to be wasting our time. And we're really going to be doing the patient a disservice. And especially because nobody in this world, in this healthcare landscape seems to communicate at all. <laughs> and um, like I've worked in, I've worked in the, um, in the real world, not the non-military real world. And I've worked in you know, big health systems, and I've worked in really small health systems, and I've had my own thing. I know how difficult communication is, but it needs to get better. And there are ways to improve all of that. So that's to circle back to your original question, which was, what do we do? And the first, the first um, thing that we offer is refresher training in those fundamental multi-systems differential diagnosis skill set. So I teach a foundations for primary care course. It's in-person and online. Um, my partner, Dr. Lance Mabry, teaches a musculoskeletal imaging certification. He is an Air Force physical therapy vet um, and also um, and is an associate professor, or I'm sorry, assistant professor at High Point University. And so imaging is like his baby and it is awesome. The imaging certification teaches PTs how to, um, how to know when and why imaging is indicated 
But then when patients have already had imaging done, which a lot of them have by the time they get to us, we can then review the imaging with them and help them understand it, help them be less afraid of the right. findings and help them understand what is actually clinically relevant versus what might not be. Um, and that's our responsibility to know how to do that, which is why we have the course offering. Um, and we also have a, a new course on recognizing rheumatology, which for anybody in the outpatient or home health world, there's so much, um, there are so many rheumatologic and autoimmune and autoinflammatory conditions walking amongst us and the vast majority of them are undiagnosed. So we need to be very skilled in being able to identify and recognize that. So that's kind of our education component. And then I'm working on building out um, some consulting. Uh, I, I'm already doing some consulting, but I'm working on building out some more formal courses and resources to help uh, physical therapists and business owners and administrators understand how to utilize and get physical therapists kind of practicing in more of a primary care yeah. model. Yeah, that's, uh, so that's interesting. Um, yeah, man. Um, and let's just wrap that last part up with, and if we're doing these things like the room, let, let's just go the rheumatology route, right? Right. If we're, I'm constantly going back to if, you know, by the time, because research says by the time people get to us, there's already been so much money spent, so much time wasted rather than spent so much energy wasted that if we can make a bigger impact or get people further up, have this insight and God forbid, I say triage people back or to the right place, right? Make the recommendations and get them to the right place sooner. We're also having a huge, that's the other thing, man, 30 years in the, so you've been out nine years, nine years. Yeah. I've got 30 at some point I've lost track. I just stopped counting about two years ago. Um, so I got 30, right. And you know, so much of what I, so much of the word I spread is like, actually the people you keep out of your clinic is just as good for everybody, including your business as the people you put in. So this whole mentality of getting people scheduled, right? So, but we could go to look, putting people on the schedule, not for 12 visits, putting people on the schedule to get evaluated in a manner, right? Where they are evaluated systems wise, right? Screened for red flags, call it whatever we want, comorbidities, everything else. And then the recommendation and the plan is put together based on that, which may include you're not coming back here, right? Because that's what best for them is actually going to be our biggest impact to the healthcare system, right? And getting to those people, right? Well, again, if we're the first person they see, big impact, but if we're the one that finally steers them to the right place, big impact. So again, and then you keep the people in the clinic who should be in the clinic and they go yeah. through this all the time. Now, mind you, I don't do the clinical side. This is why it's nice to have people like, Katie on the show talking about everything she does. Um, you don't, you know, I don't tell people, I don't talk about treatment at all. I talk about how to talk to people and how to manage people. But right, if we put all these things together, then we are going to actually make a bigger impact as a profession. And we're going to build out our credibility within the healthcare system because Lord knows we don't have to tell anybody, don't don't look up too much of that research, my friends. You might be surprised with what you're not finding. Yeah. 
So you got the, so you're putting together programs for business owners that you could go in or they could do training so that they could train their employees. So, so let's say they bring on a new hire, the new hire would go through a program like you would incorporate into their business or their training. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's sort of multi-layered. So Let me just back up one second to talk about how private practices and, and PT business owners sure. can can make sure. this model work. So a few like a, a few years back, or I don't know, maybe around the time that I graduated, there was some chatter. So not very long ago. Very long ago, but long long enough. Um, so around the time that I graduated, I just remember people talking about this concept of like the PT annual visit. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. And so I didn't love the concept at the time because I just was like, I just don't really see the value yeah, in this. Right. It sounds good, but then you go, what, what are we measuring? A hundred percent. So like a lot of the chatter about around the PT annual visit was around things like, and this is no knock on these systems, right, but right. Um, like the SFMA, the FMS, like yeah. we are, we're going it. in with a patient and we're trying to like identify impairments, whether they were part of their dysfunction or part of their disability or they're having pain or not. We're like going in and trying to like identify like, oh, you're short by um, 10 degrees of lumbar extension. It's like, well, okay, whatever. Like, so I like, I exactly, I just was like, this is kind of like a, this almost seems like a business gimmick. That like, so I always think about whenever I'm putting something together as a business owner, I don't want it to, I don't want people on the other end to be like, oh, this sounds like a gimmick. So I, when I heard of these things, I was just like, this sounds gimmicky and I don't like it because it sounds like you're trying to open up this new service for people who don't have any pain or problems um, in order to financially benefit from it and like make them feel like something is a problem. Now I have no problem with financially benefiting. <laughs> I don't have no problem with any. Yeah, right. I mean, but that's what we're talking about is but we're talking about how to financially benefit in a bigger way and not have to look for it, ways to do it, right? Ethical, because they're right in, in front of us. In right? ethical, from an ethical standpoint, we're, we're, we're going to be utilizing a service to, we, we want to be utilizing our services to help people and help the population as opposed to creating, um, creating harm by telling people that they have, that they have a problem when maybe they probably don't. So we have to own that restructuring that restructuring this has. um, So I'm kind of in the process of like going through a a few different um, risk factors from a subjective and a family history perspective, and then also looking at uh, people's lifestyle behaviors and other types of risk factors to put it into a, um, a, an, the, a concept of an annual visit that actually would make sense and help people. The thing is we can't like, we, we have to use, utilize it responsibly and ensure that our patients on the other side understand that there are ways that they can improve their health and longevity and, you know, but, but based on science, like the things like the six minute walk test, reducing blood pressure, um, improving the, the the diet and the gut microbiome status, um, stress, sleep. There are lots of really important things that people in the rehab space can have a tremendous impact on somebody's lifestyle without having to go into like 
oh, you're lacking um, dorsiflexion. So yeah, you, right. need, you need 16 PT visits. Like we don't want to get into that space. I hope that nobody listening to this wants to get into that space because that's garbage. And it's really, it's really not anything that is going to help improve the, the patient's experience and their quality of life and their. Well, well their let, let, yeah. And, and let's just real quickly revisit where this started. Oh, maybe we didn't say it on the recording. I think we said it off mic, right? Here I am 30 years later in healthcare and in the year of the Lord, 2023, People are living shorter lives and it's costing us more money. So we're going to start with that context. Um, by the way, Katie and I started with that context. So I want to mention it is that, yeah, dorsiflexion isn't curing anything. What's mm -hmm. curing is right. Like people coming in and getting screened in a manner. You know, the other thing I think about too, Katie, is things like type two diabetes. I mean, what an impact, right? So someone comes in again, we're looking at this screen, um, right. Of all these things. And, there, there's so many places for us to have impact that you've already mentioned. And again, I just, I'm thinking type two, so I'm throwing it out there. Um, mm -hmm. So many things we could do and set people up for success, true success. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So you're looking at putting together a, a screen. Is that what you're saying for people that they can use in the clinic? I will say a framework. Framework, there we go. A, a framework for screening and evaluation but then also continuous and sustainable health coaching. And then what that does is that creates an opportunity for a patient to see what your expertise is and what you care about and what your recommendations are. And then it opens up this door of like, hey, I'm your primary care physical therapist. I work collaboratively and in sync with your primary care physician in order to make sure that you can stay and be the best that you, that you can be, be the best that you can be. That's so funny. Yeah, the army actually, just yeah, went, here we they go. just yeah. went back to that slogan. That is yeah. so funny that, oh, well, me and my husband were just talking about that recently, but anywho, that's not what I actually meant. That was very, um, that's hilarious, very though, but I mean, <laughs> you can't help. You had to throw that in there at least once. Right. So that was a good spot to throw it. That in. is so funny, but we're, we're working in sync with your, with the rest of your healthcare team. And what we can provide is we can provide information on your, your physical function and tie in all of these other components of your health that relate to your physical function. Um, and we're not getting into the space of, of scope of practice infringement, right? Like we're not, saying like, oh, we're, we're dietitians now, like we can do all of this stuff. And we're not saying we're psychologists now that we can do a full course of cognitive behavioral therapy. We're saying that we acknowledge and we understand all of these other layers of this person's health and care and how it ties into their physical function and their physical risk factors. And we're establishing a, an opportunity to have a sustainable and long-term relationship with that patient. And then it trickles out to their family and then it trickles out to their yeah, friends. And that's what I was thinking too, community. about all the trickle out here. You, you said something else though, which I really like is we're not, it, it's within our scope and we're not looking at creeping outside of it, which by the way, was a big ding, ding, ding for a huge business opportunity for people to grow their teams. I'm trying to do that with some of my, and I'm not trying to jump your, just bear with me here, but I'm doing that with some of my clients. Currently, I'm like, you know, and we're talking about the team and they're like, yeah, more of this. And I'm like, no, 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 no more of that. I said, let, let, let's think bigger back to what you're saying. W what can we, how can we add value 
honest value. Value is in the eye of the taker. You know, how can we give value? Is it, by the way, is it a freaking nutrition? Is it a sport, you know, for some people, is it a sports psychologist? So again, the better we can build our teams, the more diverse, there's another big impact because we all know, right? I mean, how, how hard it is for people to get basic healthcare right now. So if we, if we put together a team, we said access earlier and we can give people access sooner and quicker, by the way, there's another great way to grow your business, give people access sooner to other things. And they're going to go and tell all their friends. Yeah. My primary care physical therapist got me the A, B, and C. You should go see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, access I think is a really big thing because yeah, one of the things that I word. have been one of the things I've been coming across, and this is actually so we're going to talk about access not from a referral standpoint, but about what we can do. Yeah, sure. So I love that. I, think- I love defining access because there's multiple levels and people never define it. So good. Yes. So I'm kind of throwing it out there that there's two ways to refer to access to care and and referral decision making. So that's one of the things I really harp on in my in my course and some of the cases that I describe, I think that some of the my participants and some of my um, my students that take the course are a little bit surprised because they always assume that I'm going to say, oh, this case needs to be referred and it needs to be referred ASAP and they got to go to the emergency department. And I'm like, no, in fact, most of the cases, even when we think quote unquote red flags, like everything's got to be referred, yeah, which I said to serious. And it's like, actually a lot of the things that we probably learned about in school of what a red flag even constitutes is not something that should be managed like emergently in the emergency department. So some of the cases I say, for example, um, I had a case where um, a patient, I don't want to give away my my course, so I'll just give something briefly, but like a patient um, is coming in for shoulder pain, but they also have COPD, Um, looking at the relationships between those two things and understanding like, okay, when's the last time you had your pulmonary function test? What did they say? Is this a new exacerbation? And then understanding that you from your fund, your fundamental degree, whether it's a BSPT, MSPT, DPT, whatever, your your you license, got me covered there. Thanks for throwing in right. That. So like your your license as a physical therapist in almost every state. I I look at practice acts on a regular basis. Yeah, it's like yeah. twice a year. I look at practice acts and rules and regulations that have been updated. And there's nothing that is preventing you from if you identify a patient who has. If, if a patient comes in for shoulder pain and maybe they have rotator, rotator cuff related disease, but they also have COPD, yeah, working on their shoulder, but also understanding what to do for their COPD and understanding that those two things are very intricately connected and tied together. And oh, by the way, people with COPD are at much higher risk for falls and things like spinal fractures. So we can work with that, like just with a patient who's referred for shoulder pain. Um, and even if they're not like, maybe you identify this and that, and you can just incorporate it into their plan of care. Um, I am very, I, I should say this, my, my disclaimer here is I've always been a progressive and I always will be. And I'm the kind of person that like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, if I identify something that I feel is within my professional scope and I'm comfortable treating it and I know when to refer and I know when to do this and that. I'm going to work with it. Well, I think it's the last part you said, Katie, which brings us back to the beginning because you're comfortable with understanding, right? Because that's what you've been doing. And mm-hmm. that back to you, you've said it more than once. 
I think that's where a lot of people are lacking because they so immediately come out and put the blinders on and pigeonhole themselves so quickly. Well, get on up or get on out because I'm tired. I agree. Yeah. Well, here we are. Here we are. I I am tired of physical therapists and other, let's just say anybody in the healthcare profession. I'm really tired of especially outpatient where you're going to, you can see literally anything that comes through your door. You should have at least a baseline knowledge. Well, right. Because you are seeing anything that comes through your door. Right. So you could say there's an obligation to do it. There isn't, there is an obligation. Like Mm -hmm. the NPTE is multi-systems because that's expected to know. So stop pigeonholing yourself into um, you know, musculoskeletal and joint mobilizations and taping and, and courses that are just like on interventions. Because if you, again, working upstream, if you improve your initial evaluation and your differential diagnosis screen, um, differential diagnosis abilities right from the start, you're going to have much better success with not only with your patient relationships, but also with your, your, um, your, your outcomes, like the, the way that the patient responds to care directly relates to what you know about them and what you are considering to be their differential diagnosis. And please, for God's sake, stop taking the, the diagnosis that's on the referral and just going with it because we are not technicians anymore. I'm sorry. No. That's well, a, like, I've had enough of that. Well, it gets worse, right? Because it, it just, we, we ballooned it out, right? Because I do secret callers and right. I am the diagnosis, 99 per, 99.9% of the secret callers I ever do. I'm the diagnosis before I ever arrive. And, and they've confirmed that, right? So back to your point. Um, so we got to get away from it on all fronts. You know, and it's interesting because I, I still want to do it. I've, I've wanted, so early on, I saw an opportunity to move a conversation upstream to get the right people to the right place. Right. So that's my, my, my whole idea around this pre-arrival process and empowering the, the team, not just the provider, to be part of this process. So if we're going to do this work, right, and I'm pointing at you so people can't see, if we're going to do this work, it's, got, it's literally got to be a team approach. And when I say team, it's got to be the billing and coding department. We all know that for sure. It's got to be happen. the front office team before these people even arrive to get and we're not taking histories and, you know, and, and, but we're getting information because I always say part of the pre-arrival process is to set the expert, the provider up for success. Mm-hmm. So if, if the provider glances down at documentation 15 minutes before the eval and they know, right, because they've done your course and they glance down that, you know, whatever, 65 year old male right? My name is Jerry, but Jerry, 65 years old, has COPD, has some problems with falls in the past. And oh, by the way, he's here for a painful shoulder, right? I mean, you're already, you're walking in the room going, all right, Jerry, let's do what's best for you, right? So again, we're back to this beginning. I just want to reiterate, or um, I want to state it's the team approach is not just the providers. It's got to be, right? If we're going to be successful in all this, everybody's got to be dialed in on this. Everybody. Because again, I call and I get turned into Jerry with low back pain scheduled for physical therapy at 1030. I'm like, sweet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I oh, and then where Jerry dropped off after two visits. By the way, I got to say this out loud too. And you guys need to hear this. 
Katie is giving you, Katie is giving you a way to grow your business. Now, if we're doing what's best for the patient, which Katie just defined, then as you know, because of the name of the show, uh, sorry, yeah, if we're doing what's best for the patient, it's going to work for the business also, which is this opportunity yet again to take care of the person in front of you and either, either do what's best for them or move them to the right place. So yeah. yeah. And so I hear now, and I'm going to be honest, right? Because you, you can't be in healthcare for 30 years and see the trend of the spending adding a trillion. Remember, I, I've watched healthcare in my lifetime, put another T on the end of it, right? Not a freaking zero. I've watched it go from two to 3 trillion, right? That, that is, that is some fucking work people. And we should not be proud of, right? To put a T on it. So I see these opportunities start helping people, right? No matter where you are. And then I'm thinking about, wow, in this place, wow, in this place, right? Someone could set up something like this, right? Opportunity. Maybe it's in their own space, but maybe they set up another offsite clinic, right? Where this is all they do all day. They have one yep. or two PTs in this facility yep. working primary care and the, 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 legacy office is still functioning the same way. And maybe the legacy office is running people over to your other at offsite place, taking mm -hmm. care of all these people. I mean, huge opportunities here. Yeah. So from an operational standpoint, um, that is something that I've been working on and researching for a while. And I have a paper that is, or a manuscript that I'm um, going to be submitting to PTJ here pretty soon awesome. on the operations, yeah. the various operating models of how this can exist. And for most of the people probably listening to this show, the one that um, should catch your, your eye is, uh, well, there's two actually, the employer-sponsored models. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I give it 10 to 15 years before these big third-party payers start to just die because a lot of employers, large employers too, are now just jumping ship from working with United and Aetna and Cigna and Blue Cross because they're not, they're, they're spending way too much money and they're not getting any of their employees any healthier. And they're still paying, you know, boatloads out to workers comp and all of this stuff. So I give it 10 to 15 years. I really do. Um, so if you're working under an exclusively insurance-based market, consider expanding. Um, Employer-sponsored models are basically where instead of a third-party payer covering health insurance for a group of employees, um, the employer just hires the um, healthcare providers directly, and they work directly with the healthcare provider team. Um, so those are up and coming. Um, in fact, the company that my husband left in Oklahoma City called Devon Energy, um, they just recently, and I, I heard this, this is hearsay. So if somebody from Devon is listening, they're like, she's not right. Um, this is just something that I heard. So I can't confirm that it is actually indeed a, the case, but they originally, when my husband was there, they had sort of an employer-sponsored model where they had somebody from a local clinic who was on site. And I had just heard that they have fully switched over to um, a self-employed or a self-insured model. So they are, they have gotten rid of their, their third-party payer plans and they just have gone to this model. So that's number one. Number two, and this is one that I, uh, I wanted to sort of end with because I think it's even more important. I know of a number of private practice clinics, whether they're standalone clinics or they have multiple satellite clinics, um, but local regional type clinics um, that 
instead of just keeping PT within the PT clinic and that's it, taking one or a couple of their PTs and positioning them in local family medicine clinics to do the same type of practice that I was talking about earlier, where, you know, a physician might go in first um, because a lot of times when patients go in for primary care, family medicine, internist, pediatrician, they will come in and they are either coming in for their annual or they have a slew of things that they want to address. So it might not always be appropriate for the, for the PT to be the first point of contact, but the PT is there on site. And what happens is the, um, the physician or the, you know, primary care provider will pull the PT in to that same exact visit if they have identified a functional need. And I say functional, not musculoskeletal, because we do musculoskeletal for sure, but we also do neuromuscular. We also do cardiovascular and pulmonary. We also do pelvic health and women's health and pediatrics and peripartum and postpartum. Um, We do a lot. And we need to, if you're going to be one of those PTs who is considering, if you're considering yourself a primary care PT, our scope of practice is three feet deep and three miles wide. So you need to have a really solid understanding of the most common things that are affecting our population health so that you can capture all of those at your very first visit. And then the way that these clinics are doing it is they might see a patient for a 15 to 20 minute consult, an introduction. Hey, how are you? I'm going to be your physical therapist. Um, This is what I can do for you. And then they have them follow up with them in their other clinic so that they can establish care there if they need it, or they just make it a one-time consult. There are so many different ways that we can be doing this, but if we stay in our little isolated clinics, doing the same old shit that we've always been doing, it's not going to go anywhere. So I agree with you, Jerry, that before we got on the call too, we've been talking, we were talking about just how exciting it is to be a PT right now. Like on one, on one end of the spectrum, it's a really shitty time to be in healthcare altogether. But if you are on the other end of the spectrum and you're really forward thinking and you can grasp on to all of these amazing opportunities that are there and you're willing to change and move and learn and grow, you're going to be dynamite and it will be amazing. Real quick, I want to um, I want to jump on your employer thing because I've talked about that a lot recently with different people including some um, newer, uh, soon-to-be DPTs who are really interested in. I want people to understand this when we talk about impact and um, potential. Um, In the model that Katie described, potentially, large potential, you don't go in looking for a salary. You go in looking for a savings cut because these companies are looking. They know that nobody knows health spending better than an employer because they look at it every freaking year and they have the numbers, right? They have the MSK numbers. They have the God knows what other numbers, right? Of all these things. So, and you, and someone doing this is going to know about the savings they can bring because you're think about it. What we talked about, you're getting to people way sooner, right? I mean, the, the employers here, let's just throw it out here. Think of the last workers comp person you saw and think about how long from the date of injury until they were in front of you, you now have this opportunity to see people at day zero. So yes. think about the impact, right? From one, one person. So, so the money, the financial side of this, because the savings is so ginormous to probably a company like the one your husband just left, is that, you know, the, 
it, it's not talking about salaries. It's talking about percentage of savings and things like this. So again, I just want to, we're not going to, we're not going to deep dive into this yet. I want people to understand this conversation. What's best for the patient is best for business. And when I mean best for the business, I mean, knocking zeros off of the end of expenditures, which stays in the business, which now the business can go straight to the bottom line, can go back into the business, numerous things. And I'm only going to take this small little cut, Katie. Mm -hmm. I'm not greedy. Right. So, right. right. So the upside here is, is, is huge. You know, the, now I want to jump onto the th second thing you said, because if, if someone is willing to look outside the box and go, I want to have a, and I always say impact in your community. I always say, my goal is to get you to be able to serve all the people in your community who can benefit from what you do. Now, at the end of this call, you better think you can do a lot more. So if you're in the, if you're in the clinic with the GP and you're seeing people that you bring into your office, you can't schedule them for 12 visits. You can't treat their shoulder, right? The, after all this work, you can't do that. You're doing this as a bigger benefit, right? And so you have to be okay with putting people on the schedule for an evaluation with no further follow-ups, because that may not be what they need. And again, the impact is going to be a lot bigger here. And I assume there are other ways, you know, that they're just, it's, yeah, it, it has to be about taking care of people and not scheduling out visits. A hundred percent. And the way that I approach this is when I, when I talk to people about like, oh, well, we're going to lose money if we put, if we put a PT in primary care, but actually there's pretty reasonable evidence that shows that physical therapists on the, you know, really like tertiary end of the spectrum in, in your, if you're working on a referral basis that you're only seeing like 7%, 7 to 14 oh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Right. 7 to 14% of what you could be yeah. seeing. Maybe so double who, digits, by exactly. the way, and by so, the way, that's barely grown. It's gone from like nine to 10, right. In, in my lifetime, that that's another number. So sorry, go on. Which, Seven again, to 14 is why we need to flip this. And so if, if you're, if you're only seeing that, if you take one PT, even for a half a day out of your clinic, you put them in a primary care clinic somewhere else or an urgent care or an ED, preferably primary care, because again, we want to facilitate the, the concept of longevity, sustainable relationships and community. And if we put our, if we, if you position somebody there, the downstream effect of that is you end up getting more people who under, who know who you are. Who understand you because a lot of patients and this, I know this from personal experience because I have been shadowing experiences with primary care and other specialty providers. When they suggest physical therapy, patients are like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that because the public perception of physical therapy is that if you're going to go see a physical therapist, you're going to have to dedicate at least an hour, three days a week for 12 weeks of your life. And I'm not saying that just because I'm you know, bad. No, I've people. seen it too. I, I see it all the time. I'm saying, I'm saying that because that is what patients think about physical therapy. That's why they don't want to come. So when you position yourself in a primary care clinic, even if it's for a non-revenue non generating service, even if it's for that, the patients are like, oh, well, I know this person. I had a really great conversation with them. They already helped me in the 20 minutes that I saw them this first visit. I'm going to go see them again. And that's what they see up at Bell and Health when they, because they have PTs in their um, primary care practices as in non-revenue generating services. And what they're seeing is more patients are actually coming to their physical therapy clinic because they're seeing the benefit in it 
without us even so, so like if we if we were never in primary care at all look at see all of these patients like the primary care physicians probably know that they would benefit from therapy but like they're not pushing it because the same thing they hear all over again is oh well physical therapy means you're going to see a patient three times a week for you know 12 weeks which is insane by the way um so yeah like it, even if you have a non-revenue generating service, if you're in a co-located primary care type program or pilot program, you're going to end up seeing downstream that you're going to have more evaluations that maybe not that may or may not result in, you know, 12 visits of follow-up because not every patient needs 12 visits of therapy. Let's be honest here. You're going to end up seeing that you just have more evaluations on your schedule that might need two or three sessions, but you're going to have more evaluations. So flip well, you can, it, it's just going to grow. Uh, let's just, let's let just, let's, um, by the way, here's the other word. Um, Katie just said non-revenue generating position. I call it marketing. So it's like exactly. sending a marketing person. Exactly. Out. Oh my gosh. That's a right? really great way. Think of about it. it. I, I'm serious. As soon as you yeah. start saying that, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation today with a, with a newer PT, right? This mindset, right? Um, it was a question in a group about, I'm going to give a talk for 60 minutes at a fitness center. How much should I charge? And I responded, what is your goal? And she said, um, and she told me based on this access thing, I said, with that kind of access, I'd focus on two things. I wouldn't charge in, uh, three things. I wouldn't charge a dime. I'd get everybody's email and I'd make sure my presentation is real fucking good. And I said, and I wouldn't charge a dime because you're going to make money. Hundred. It's the same thing. So let's go back to this. Why? And you and I both know it's going to be like, well, how, how much are you going to get paid for being over in the primary care office? I'm like, don't, please don't tell me that's your first thought. Please, please, please. But it, this is it, what's happening though, too. Because oh, I, know. I, I just ended up, I just ended up having another conversation with a, uh, it's a hospital system, but you know, every department has their own finances and the PT uh, director or chair or whatever they had a PT in primary care. It's a non-revenue generating service. So after like three or six months, he pulled the PT out and he was like, we're not making any money off of it. After three or six months, like you- There's that, no way it, on God's green earth they did There's no that. way. There's just no way, unless you are totally missing the mark. But like, that that's kind of what's happening. Well, and by the way, by the way, hey, by the way, if we're looking at it, we, we, we got to go down this path now. Because- right? This is what I do. This is what you do. So if I'm going to take a, an employee a provider, and I'm going to put them into a position further upstream, remember, we're talking about people, the majority of the profession is not prepared. They're prepared waiting for Katie to walk in to go, I have shoulder pain. They have to be trained properly, Katie. They have to go with a different mindset to this setting of how you see someone, I cannot imagine your day when you were in the army. So they have to be in more of that army mindset. Let's just say it. And so they have to understand this is your job while you're here, right? And not, by the way, I love this mindset and not everybody you see has to come here as a patient, right? And so, but they, they, they gotta be trained properly. So I even wonder about that hospital setting. It was like, okay, Jerry, you're going to primary care and I'd be sitting around, right? You want to go to physical therapy? No. Okay. Yeah. No, no success today. Right. Yeah, I and totally again, see that. it's not, 
it, it is what it is. It's the system we're in. And I was in it and I fucking owned it and I ran it and I managed people this way. So I, I own it all. I own it all. I always tell everybody anything I say poorly about the profession I own because I did it. That's how I got here. He's looking back and going, what the fuck was I doing? Um, so I understand that that's why I go, this is marketing people. And what better way than to have a physical therapist, mm-hmm. right? And I love your other thing you said, which we're not prepared to do. Whoa, I hope everybody heard this, that your scope is three miles wide and only three feet deep when everybody comes out of school and tries to dig a three mile deep hole that only spreads out three feet. I hope everybody heard that because I sure the hell heard that. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, I, th- this is what get, yeah, here we go. And this is what gets me about today and everybody's coming out and everybody's going to do exercise, but you know what? I love the fact everybody wants to do exercise, but nobody wants to do exercise with the fucking people who could benefit the most from it, which is basically all the people. So not only this, we got a bunch of people coming out ready to serve 5% of the fucking population, let yeah. alone 14%. Yeah. Yeah, we, and we I'm just to, like, no, we, don't, don't, don't do that just yet. You, you can want to do that, but get, 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 give me a year, give me two years. Just let's make sure you're ready. Let's make sure. By the way, when I came out of school, I came out with an MS, MPT. So I had 24 months. I, I was like a month from graduation. Go, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I went to work in a hospital setting, a team. I learned medicine. I learned. Man, I read everybody's chart. I read the pharmaceutical. I didn't have any of it. So, man, I really got a better understanding of diagnoses and things like this. And I, I believe it helped me when I then moved out of the acute care setting. But, you know, I did that. And I, I felt like I needed to, before I could, I needed to broaden out. Even if I wanted to niche back down, because I'm like, I can niche down from here because I got nothing to niche down from. I mean, you kind of have... you. I, I, this is, I'm, this is my bias, but I really feel like we're obligated to do that because like cancer, for example, we're, we are all seeing people with cancer or who have had cancer. People are living a lot longer with cancer. There's a lot more cancer survivors that are walking amongst us. If you don't understand what treatments they had and how they can affect, you know, they, they're, you know, different chemotherapies that are neurotoxic or cardiotoxic. There are people who've had a radiation with a lot of radiation fibrosis. If you don't understand, there are really, and I'm not talking about super duper complex stuff. Right, right. You just know like the basics and what to look for. You will be way more successful treating somebody who has had cancer or who is going through. And then by the way, then now you have a brand, you have, I help people, right? And by the way, I I love this because everybody says you got to niche down. I'm like, but you realize low back pain. Well, hold on one second. I'm, I'm going to, I'll make sure and go this direction, but I'm like, okay, niche down, treat cancer. You think you might keep busy for a while. That's what I'm saying. Cancer is niching down. Right. And the volume of people. Right. So it's yeah. like, okay, I niche down to cancer. I still, there's more people in my community than I could ever serve. Right. And then by the way, this day and age, and the things I keep hearing you saying is I'm like, by the way, people, not everybody wants or needs to be seen in the clinic. So you want to talk about another revenue model? I'm in the primary care office. Here we go. Katie, I got a couple options for you, right? And I can take that. That's what I love because I would train, I would train, man, this PT, this person, this provider, 
that was in the primary care office would get trained like to another level because they would be deciding if this person was actually going to come in, if we were going to do like a, maybe a 15 minute consult, if how we were going to do this, they were going to have to pull the trigger on what was next because not everybody has, by the way, there's only two ways to grow a business, grow your capacity, raise your prices. Well, let's just say you can't raise your prices in healthcare pretty much if you're contracted. So a video visit, a, I'm not even going to call it telehealth, a video visit, a something visit, whatever it is, grows your capacity. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. And I, I just think that we need to get out of this framework of like evaluate and treat a lot of times for most of the stuff that's out there. And most of the patients that we can help, we can help them with a one-time visit. Oh and yeah. That yeah. Is okay. th 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 this, we, we got to get, we, we got to get out of this. Yeah. This I, I talk about relationships over transactions, this visit thing. And I'll start a lot of conversations. If your accountability is visits run the other way, man, because visits equate to nothing from a, from a clinical side. I'm not going to bring this up, but you can listen to another podcast or read my blog, but I actually was in a position where, um, I was actually fired from a job because there was such a disconnect with what they told me at interview to what actually came out. And then they decided that I was just a, a bad egg. So five weeks into my employment, they fired me, but it was all about that. It was like, oh, you're not seeing every patient that comes in for enough visits. It was all about that. They wanted well, me to see. By the way, I, I met one-on-one -on -one with my team to look at their visits. So, I mean, I own this, uh, I'll, I'll own it. And um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not going to practice fraud on your behalf, sir. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, mind you, I didn't tell people, right. I believe it or not, I did start from a good place I, because people, they, they had been so out of it. I, I said, you know, I'd go to visits, but then I'd go, okay, show me your plans of care. I'm like, I'm not telling you how many visits I'm saying complete, you know, what do people want to do? Which, you know, is interesting because we go down another rabbit hole of which I assume you're working on, right? Is because then we have to have this proper, what do you call it? Template? You didn't, I did I said screening tool, but you went back up another level. Structure. Framework. 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 That's a good word. So, right. We, we got to have this framework, which by the way, I would argue I would break down and make my front desk team start to build into some of this so that some of this documentation framework was filled in prior to arrival so that the provider is, again, I'm not talking hours before, I'm talking five, 10 minutes before, is ready for the person that walks in the room to, as I call it, continue a conversation, not start a conversation. Right. So that, that then again, because it, it, this idea of getting away from scheduling people out, let's call it this, because I don't want to say get away from visits because we're still counting visits Sure. because right. How many new patients, because by the way, that determines when I hire. Right. So I still need to know my capacity. I still need to know roughly what we're seeing, but I'm not holding everybody to this accountability of 12 is what I'm not doing. And so if I was doing this work and we were tracking this properly, then yeah, it could, and again, the, the, the operations tracking, I think is, is far easier than anybody thinks. Um, and the bulk of the work needs to be done upstream before they arrive. It's, I agree. it's interesting. And the ones 
this is what's always funny is the ones who can benefit from this the most are the ones who everybody think aren't going to do it or don't want to do it or can't do it. And I'm going to tell you, they can, and they, they're going to need to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> well, and, and, and some, I mean, this is how we started. The, this is the conversation is what, what's our future, by the way, our future is yesterday. So our future isn't tomorrow. Our future is yesterday. I'm, I'm headed out of this, right? And I, I probably already am halfway out, but meaning I don't treat people, but I, I'm helping people set this up. You're helping people do the clinical side. I'm trying to get people to look at people differently, learn a little bit more about them, stop measuring visits, be okay with going, Katie, here's our findings. You know what we need to do? You and I, right? So we went through this, Katie. So here's what we're going to do next. Uh, we're going to have a video call in two weeks. All right. You're going to come back in the office in four weeks. Mm-hmm. And then by then, I think you're going to be good. Mm-hmm. And so here's what you're going to do. I'll see right. you in two weeks. Right. We have to be exactly. okay with that. We have to be this okay is, with that. Yes. It should be evaluate and manage as appropriate based on the, what the patient's exactly. uh, risk profile dictates. For patients with neurologic disease, certainly they can be seen three and up to five times a week. There's right. really good evidence for things. For- so, and this is what cracks me up about these clinics. You started yeah. this, who put everybody on the schedule. I'm like, yeah, but not all those. They have this population already who can mm-hmm. be served the way you're presenting. Mm-hmm. Evaluate yeah. and manage. You know, that there are people that come in that need to be seen. I'm like, by the way, I used to say all the time, I would rather, right? Oh, sure. I'll, tar- I'll schedule them out 12 visits. I'll schedule them out once a month for the next 12 months. Because to me, if, if I'm going to see them for 12 visits, there's probably overall, I could benefit them more by doing that than putting them over the next eight weeks. Yes. You know what I mean? I have such a problem with that. Like, okay, maybe for the first two weeks, you might see them once or twice a week, but then space it out. As things start to, because uh, otherwise per you're just, your oh, judgment, yeah. because you're practicing at the top of your license, you're using the skills, you're using the understanding, you're using a framework, you're using a checklist, you're using measurements in a manner that go, you know what, Katie, this is what we're going to do next. Yeah. I was really confused actually, when that one clinic fired me, because I was like, so what are you what exactly are you calling the plan of care? Well, is that what I like, yeah. said in the original thing? Yep. Or, yep. Yep. you know, I say two times a week, but then it should be tapered based on the patient's response. And I should be checking in on the patient's response at every visit. So I'm not really sure where this logic came up. And, and I see it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It is because I'll tell you what, people don't, well, this is another talk. Yeah. It is, and it's it's clinic size, clinic revenue, clinic profit. Well, clinic profit dictates a lot of this, but it, it just doesn't matter. And the bigger, the worse it is. They've got to take ownership that, okay, we, we created a model. It got us here. We got to look at a different way of doing this. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about impact to be made, we talk about potential the potential to keep doing things the same way. I I tell this to people every day. I told this to the third year students. I said, your greatest risk is to come out and do what the fuck everybody's already doing. Thank you. I was like, that's the only risk right now. (laughs) 
So if you guys think you're lessening your risk by going there, you, it's getting worse. So yeah, a lot of stuff there. And, and, you know, we're talking impact and everything. And so where can people find you, Katie? What's your website? Yeah, my website is um, redefinehealthed.com. It's redefine with no D at the end. Um, so redefinehealthed.com. And I'm on all the social medias um, at redefinehealthed, um, except for Twitter. At uh, Twitter, it was one character too long, which is very annoying. So I'm at redefineconed on Twitter. People can also send me an email at info at redefinehealthed.com. Um, one other thing I want to mention is you know, we have all of these great online, in-person, live virtual courses. Um, I also offer my consulting services for anybody who's interested in building out this model internally. Um, but I'm also the education chair for the primary care special interest group, which is part of the APTA federal. Um, and we are hosting the first annual uh, primary care PT summit and think tank in Waco, Texas on September 30th, 2023. I was just going to say, make sure and give the year. <laughs> September. Yeah, 20, yeah, 2023. And um, this is basically going to be an eight hour day where there's going to be some clinical topics in the morning, but then the afternoon is going to be breakout think tank sessions where you can choose kind of based on what your practice is, whether you're in a large health system or you're a small private practice or you're looking to break out into the ED, you can pick two different breakout think tank sessions where you'll have an opportunity to sit down and collaborate and learn from people who are already doing it and get your questions answered and all that good stuff. So um, we also have other education offerings um, that are free to members and non-members, and then some that are free to members only. So it's only 25 bucks to add the federal section to your um, yeah, it's APT. It's funny how set. inexpensive it is. I always looked at the federal one. It's so inexpensive compared to yeah. all the other ones. It's so cheap, but uh, primary care will always be there. And um, yeah, it's pretty inexpensive and there's lots of good stuff happening. And I would be totally remiss if I didn't mention that we are that, uh, the ABPTS petition for the, whoa, 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 ABPTS. What's that? Um, so the American, uh, the American board of physical therapy They're, specialization, right, 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 right. Okay. ABPTS. Um, we are almost done with the petition to, um, create a primary care specialization. So that in the Boy, oh boy, I got to tell you, and I'll say this out loud, <laughs> of all the specializations we have, man, that seems like one that is really would draw my, they're, they're, I mean, don't forget, I came out with an MPT, but as these rolled out, I just saw, hmm, mm -hmm. hmm. but something yep. like this is, I see an opportunity. I don't know, maybe it's because I didn't have so much of this and other people, eh, I had this in school, but man. It seems like that'd be a nice way to go for people. I think it's going to be huge because we, I feel like the pendulum has almost swung too far. Like we have so many specializations now that we need to almost like bring it back into. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. generalist. Good so we point. need to be. Oh, that's really, true. This, this, well, that, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Really top of our scope across multi-systems of care. Um, so that is coming within the next two years. And, um, when I say that I'm talking April, 2023 right now, so keep, you, keep tapped on us. You know, what's interesting about all this, if we're going to talk about, cause I said it at the beginning, right. We, right. It's always funny when you're online and we're in the public world and people start throwing research out and I'm like, well, careful where you go. Cause you're not going to find much, um, in our current model. 
But yet, if we start to do some of these things and own some of these things that Katie's talking about, there's ginormous amounts of research already there. There's ginormous amounts of research on current condition, yet there's ginormous amounts of research on interventions that are successful. And there are many interventions, as Katie said, that we can be part of. So I'm going to say, if you want to go a direction and really feel that, right, this value-based care, because healthcare goes to value-based care. I got a dirty little secret for you, my friends, and it's probably not so much of a secret. You're not going to want to be in the current model you're in. So you're going to have to swing over. That's why I totally respect, you know, I see my colleagues in cancer. I see my colleagues in working with people with type two diabetes. I see my colleagues doing other things like Katie explained. I'm like the, uh, the employer-based stuff. I mean, there, nobody has more data than an employer who's got a lot of financial interest in it, right? So yeah. all these places where value and interventions and current states and past states and interventions with, with results can be shown. And if you want to be part of that, if you truly want to be part of that evidence-based model, I'm not even going to say practice. Some of this doesn't feel like practice. You know, it's funny. It just feels like you're working in a, the team approach, right? And things mm -hmm. like that. So call it that evidence-based model. This is a direction to really think about. This is awesome. I knew this was going to happen. This happens because I really didn't know what Katie was going to talk about, where she was going to go, but I knew this was going to happen. This is really cool. It just the conversation builds itself out. And here we are fucking what only feels like eight hours later. <laughs> so. Yeah, this has been a really good conversation. I really enjoyed talking about that. Yeah, cool. All right. So thank you, Katie. So everybody knows where to find you. RedefineHealthEd.com. Correct. I'm glad I got it right on the first one. There's a lot of stuff on the website. You'll learn, go to the about me page. You guys will learn what she likes to do when she's not working. The really important stuff, right? Yeah, it's your family, sure. stuff like that. So yes, I have the back the website. So yeah, and it was thorough as hell. So I, you guys are going to get everything you need there. So mm -hmm. thank you, Katie. I appreciate your time and your energy and sharing all this stuff. Thanks for having me on.